Well, all right. Welcome back, Ranch Nation. Hanging out with you guys from the East Valley Institute of Technology right outside of Phoenix. You guys know we're honored to spend it with you every week. We got Susie Sockets in studio. Susie, how are you, girl? Woo-hoo, I'm amazing, Frank. How about yeah, you, buddy, I'm, buddy? I'm wunderbar. We're supposed to get really hot coming up, and people are going to freak out in our coolers. We got a story <laughs> on the coolers, and we, we, we'd like to touch upon that. And uh, But also, I, I just want to get right out to it, remind you guys, get on to Ranch Nation dot tv where man we've had some fascinating guests on the show and hopefully inspiring to you guys uh there's some good takeaways for you lucas underwood uh and david roman they run a really rich automotive aftermarket podcast check them out uh spike pearson was on spike's car radio another great podcast dennis gage what an honor to have Love him it. on and so i just remind you because i know you guys will dip in and out of the show and it's all good our podcast is up on sunday uh, otherwise, Susie, what is shaking in the garage? Well, you started to talk about the coolers. Yeah, because Remember? our coolers were built in 1956 <laughs> or whatever. No, man, they're 18, 17, 18 years old. And every year, what do we say? Well, I think we'll be able to service them next year. <laughs> and the fact is, we did the same thing. And here we are. I'm biting my nails. I'm ready. You know, cooler, it's going to cost us 10, 15,000 or whatever. And a guy came down and I hugged him. You were like, stop hugging him. He said, <laughs> they are serviceable. <laughs> we're, we're able to actually do yeah. the filters and floats. And a lot of you listening, like I said, out of Massachusetts or North Dakota, you don't understand our pain in Arizona. <laughs> Next week, people, going to be 116 degrees. Yeah. yeah. So if you got your AC, of course, come and see us. If you're not in our neck of the woods, man, just get a hold of us. We got great family across the country. Uh, great community-minded garages. Now, i got to tell you, before we introduce our show topic, we have a new element to the show, and we're really excited. And In fact, this cat used to, he was on the show formerly. He was. <laughs> uh, and I just want to bring him on, Greg Ovist with G'sUp.com. Greg, welcome. Thank you so much. Good to be here. Yeah, and Greg, uh, we thought you would have a great contribution regarding uh, some of the classic and antique market and some of that, uh, you know, that's going on, yep. noteworthy and newsworthy. The market's on fire. People are spending money. We know this. But they also are very careful. Yep. You have a story about what a vehicle got recently that you would have said, wait a minute, a year ago, two years ago, there's oh, no yeah. way. Oh, yeah. Well, tell us about that. Well, with all the auctions that come to Arizona during the auction week, I always keep my finger on the pulse of a lot of different cars. Does your finger shake sometimes? <laughs> oh, my, oh, yeah. I get, get real nervous <laughs> on some of them. Yeah. But what I found is... um. A lot of the older 50 Chevys, like a 58 Impala convertible, 59 Impala convertible, uh, you know, at 2020, those auctions, those cars at auction were pulling 100 grand, 99 grand, 102 grand. This year, 2021, during auction week, going through several auctions, they were pulling 200 grand, 203 grand, 190 grand. So Demand, oh, oh, talk to us about it, because a lot of people right now are crazy. shopping and, and they've got the money to spend. Yeah. Obviously, we can say the basic supply and demand kind of thing. But are people just off their rocker giddy about stuff right now? And they, they just want to flush they, cash they in They have stuff. to be. I mean, a lot of people obviously stayed home last year and avoided the auctions and the public venues. We were watching bad reruns on TV. <laughs> yeah, That's the right? problem. Now so, we want to get our we're gonna get our spend on. Yeah, so this year, I mean, now they're spending money. People are out and about. Um, there's also element of being at the auction personally, not online. So when these people are in these auctions and they're personally involved and they're bidding and they're in the moment, they're spending the money that they've been waiting to spend for over a year. What's your take? COVID changed us a little bit. Um, and thank God we, I mean, it was a horrific time for many of us and many of you listening right now, you've lost loved ones. Do you think it changed our behavior? Do you think we are comfortable as car enthusiasts just hanging out behind a computer or we're like, screw that, COVID's done, we're going to the auction. No. Like if you look at Drew Alcazar's Russo yeah. and Steel, I mean, that's a visceral. You, you're at the Gladiator Dome yep. buying car, you know. Yep. Has that changed our way of buying, do you see, from your discussions? Uh, I think some of the um, some people have changed their perspective of going to the auction nowadays. Um, some people have become comfortable with the online venues, so to speak, of buying. But real true car guys got to be there. They got to be in the moment. They got to touch the car. They got to see it. They got to feel it before they spend money. So I do think there's a, a percentage of you know customers or potential buyers that have changed their perspective. But on the grand scale, I don't think it's going to affect the long-term run of auctions. I think in-person is more fun, oh, more yeah. adrenaline. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like my wife says. She said, honey, why do you go to Safeway? 
to buy groceries. You can order online. Because I want to touch my chicken. Me too. <laughs> I want to touch my chicken, man. I want to see what that chicken looks like. But it, it's part of that whole, and I certainly hope not for like my kids, like my daughter who's 12. It's like, you know, she's the, she's like, you know, all this app stuff. And I said, honey, you got to, you got to touch stuff. And. Yep. You know, make make tangible. Yeah, yep. exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, where can folks find you? Because you're going to join us every week and give us some fresh news. Give us your take. And you you pretty much uh, handle the brokering, buying and selling of some of these high end collector vehicles. Yes, I'll be a buyer agent or a seller agent. Also be a consultant service for someone that's buying a high end vehicle. But I'm at all social media links under G's Up. Uh, websites G's Up.com. Let's spell it out. G E E Z Z up.com perfect and i uh, have a blue and gray rolls royce logo you can't miss it you won't forget it wow <laughs> how'd you get away with that you said rolls royce logo yeah it's a rolls royce and a friend of mine uh his name's nick he's a graphic designer and he actually had that artwork already done and i'm like hey let's meet tweak it a little all bit all right it's you man. nice but i'm just worried you you don't need rolls royce to be calling you <laughs> yeah right <laughs> yeah uh, I do want to formally introduce to you guys. You guys know we take you on an automotive journey and try to really highlight the good works in the industry. At, I mean, there's so many colorful, amazing people with uh, stories that just go on for, God, generations, really. And we are honored. Speaking of Rolls-Royce in England, uh, this gentleman uh, from England originally, Magnus Walker, fashion designer, style icon. You guys, please, not while you're driving Get on a Magnus Walker on Google. Check out Magnus Walker. He's a uh, man. He's got passion blown through his veins for all things Agreed. Porsche and in general, just true blue automotive. Yep. You know, and so Magnus is going to join us. Of course, our good friend Fireball Tim out in California as well. They've collaborated Fireball is on a roll, people. How many of you like to color? It's therapy. I know you, you do. Are you going to say he was on fire? He's on fire, literally. <laughs> you know, it's interesting because when I first met Fireball, I'm like, I, I looked at Ken Vela. I said, Ken, do we actually call him Fireball? Fireball, yeah. He says, yeah, 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 call yeah. him Fireball. I said, you mean he doesn't have like a formal name like uh, John Smith? Or, but yeah, we're, all, we're really honored to have Magnus Walker. Kind of dive into Magnus's amazing story, his journey to this country, uh, meek beginnings and starts to uh, what would become a, a cultural icon in the automotive, uh, not automotive, but the fashion industry and his just world renowned love affair and passion for all things poor. So Magnus Walker will be joining us. I invite you guys to get on to uh, all information on Magnus Walker on the Internet uh, it, with specifics to a TEDx talk. If you haven't seen it, people, not a lot of you say, well, I've seen a lot of TEDx and Check out Magnus Walker's TEDx talk. It really talks to a lot of you that feel like you've got analysis paralysis. How many of you feel like you got? <laughs> yeah. I mean, in life, sometimes right. we overthink things. Yep. And Magnus has just a truly inspiring TEDx regarding straight from the gut. He's going to talk more about that. Susie, I got to mention this uh, just real quick before we get into the weird automotive news. Uh, electric vehicles are on, uh, well, we'll just steal this from Fireball, on fire. Um, <laughs> or electric. <laughs> electric is just, it's all the rage. Electrification. You know, uh, as technicians in the industry, uh, relax, don't worry. It's not going to happen overnight. We'll still have lots of cars to fix. Yeah, they all have about 100 million lines of code on them. But, but you know, we can't leave the Vatican out. Pope Francis just got hooked up. He's going to have himself an electric Pope Mobile. Is he really? Yeah, now, um, Greg, I'll start with you. Which company? Now, we know Elon Musk is paying attention. Do you think the old Pope Mobile would be a Tesla product? What say you? Um, I don't know. It would definitely have to be modified, obviously. Because this is a, a fashionable Pope, in my opinion. He's very progressive. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't disagree. I think one day Maybe it might a happen. Tesla? I All think right. it might happen. Susie, what's your guess? I don't think a Tesla. Which vehicle platform? It's not a Tesla. There's other... You think he went to China, maybe, and said, hey, let's get no, down with the No, I don't even think Neo? he went to China. I think there's a new company out there, Polster or something, Polestar. Fisker is the Fisker, company. Fisker, look Fisker. at that. Fisker. Instead of leather people, the interior of the car will be using, he's a green pope, man. He wants the sustainable materials made from recycled bottles and plastics. Man, That's we got excellent. a lot of that junk out Can't there. Reclaimed from the ocean. Mm -hmm. Nice. So we got our first green pope. I love it. <laughs> 
I love it. So I figured that was that was pretty that was pretty fascinating. And uh, you're probably gonna you know uh, you guys can check that out online at uh, Fisker. You know, probably not as a volume driven manufacturer like Tesla or maybe Neo out in China. Right. Right. But you, you it almost makes you wonder, Greg. Like, how, who's negotiating for the Pope? Right. Which person's calling one of these manufacturers saying, "Hey." Let's talk about a Pope mobile. Exactly. <laughs> how how does a conversation with the Popeage peoples in uh, in Italy go down? And, you know, I'd like to know which company said, "Well, we we probably can't work a deal." And was there a deal really struck? Did the Pope's people get down like they were down in Chinatown to negotiate a pair of Chinese slippers? <laughs> I mean, I wonder about these things. I do too. Sometimes. I've, Sometimes I'm thinking the Vatican's got some negotiation skills oh, going yeah. on. And was Fisker the first one or were there? So I'm wondering if some of our That's good automotive excellent. journalists will cover the what you didn't know about the Pope Mobile. <laughs> but Fisker, Fisker is what uh, what's going to go down for the Pope. So we're going to see that cruising. I wonder uh, what color it'll be. Um, uh, the picture on here, uh, of course, it's all about sustainable. Uh, who'd have thought popes of years prior? Yeah. Someday we'll be in an electric Pope mobile. I say the color is white. White, I think so. Yeah. Virgin white. Greg. I'll say pearl white. Pearl or white. Silver. Yeah. You, you're right. If I could pick this computer up and turn it around and show you. <laughs> but yeah, and of course it's got the bubble. Yep. So you can stand and wave and not get assassinated. Terrible thing if that would ever happen, but got to have the protection. That's right. What do you think, Susie, about the. Uh, Pope Mobile. I think he is changing with times, and I think that's excellent. He's progressive. That's right. Get down with the EV. Let's do Could it. Could you imagine if he had a gas-guzzling caddy? <laughs> now, what do we do on our end, people? Uh, our federal family in D.C. Gas-guzzling. Big old yep. bulletproof. SUVs. Cadillacs. <laughs> yep. What is the nickname for the uh, presidential limo? The Beast or something? I, I forget. I think it is the Beast. Is it the Beast? Now, see, this is an interesting conversation because Biden is all over green. Yeah. Is he driving? Don't get political. I'm not. I'm just saying, family. The Pope can do an EV vehicle. Why is our... Can can we change a presidential limo? Can some of you EV manufacturers make a bulletproof? I think Elon can. Oh, probably. Yeah, yeah oh, probably. Yeah. He'll figure that out real quick. I mean, that window thing didn't go well when he started. <laughs> that he's hoping. But I think I would love to see our president in a Tesla truck. Go more green. The, that little triangular looking. Oh, the cyber one? Could they get away with that? A no. lot of you don't like that yeah. one. Yeah. But Biden's got to be green. I don't think it's aesthetically pleasing. What's happening in the weird section of the automotive news, girl? What is the deal with people wanting to drive before your legal age? Oh, we all did it. Come on. I know. Come but what on. are the legal ages? What are they, well, 16, 18? Some of our folks in Georgia are driving 11 years old. I know. I know. But in the right setting, maybe it's okay, right? We talked on the show. About a 10-year-old, um, actually a 5-year-old boy who drove off in the mom's Dodge on a quest to buy a Lamborghini that was in Utah. Do you remember oh, that wow. story? A 5-year-old. I, I, you know, 5-year-old. Do you remember me- that? My memory slips me as I'm a kid. But you're, did we cover that? We did cover that in we- one of my weird automotive wow. news. A 5-year-old, Greg, escapes in a vehicle to do what now? Go- to go buy himself a Lamborghini. <laughs> Man, mom. Now, here's another one. A 10-year-old actually led troopers on a 100-mile-per-hour chase before crashing. An 8-year-old took his friend and a goat on a joyride. A goat? Yeah, a goat. <laughs> Hey, that- see, back in the day, we didn't have to have farm animals. We did not. We just not got in our, I was, you know, you're seven <laughs> years old. You just need a steering wheel. You figure those pedals out. Now they got to take farm animals around. That's right. Now, another seven-year-old in Utah, um, a, oh, I can't remember how long ago, drove off to avoid going to church. Okay. Now, oh. check this out. In Utah, again, couple of sisters, yet, an, yet another story about getting behind the wheel. Under 10? Ages nine and wow. four what apparently woke up before their parents got dressed normal day grabbed the keys took off in the family car <laughs> headed to california to go swim in the ocean for a little summer vacation these kids are independent that's I'm crazy telling you what is tiktok doing to our people <laughs> I man don't know but the sad thing was they crashed the car uh, okay oh. now here's what happened first they actually bumped getting onto the highway 
They huh. actually bumped into a pickup truck. I just can't figure out how under 10 years old. I don't either, you Frank. You can see and drive and reach the pedals. That's yeah, it's crazy. All right, listen, because you're teasing us hardcore. Susie. I'm not teasing you. I want a full psychological profile of these children. <laughs> I'm worried about children in society, especially my kids. Actually, I take my daughter out. Yeah, you do. Off-road, though. Unsupervised. I'll let her drive it. Of crack. course. Let her, don't, be, don't be fearful. Nine years old, though, taking the keys with the baby sister, four years old. So they hit. They actually bumped a truck, and um, the truck actually started to follow them. Thought maybe it was an impaired driver. But yeah, a little short driver yeah. barely see the steering wheel. Little impaired. Realized they were a couple of young girls in there. Wow. So they actually got off the highway, actually hit head on into a tractor trailer. This is not as bad as you think. Nobody was hurt, but wow. they still hit head on Man. into a semi. Unbelievable. We, we got to do a we got to do an educational course at the uh, shop, Susie. We really should. Do not drive at, at age 8, 9, 10, 4 years old. But you know what's weird? Kids are getting jealous. I think that's what's happening. Yep. Three out of the five examples happened in Utah. What's going on in Utah? Oh, wow. Oh, that's weird. I don't know what's up with the water or something. But <laughs> hey, listen, we're going to be back with you guys. Uh, excited to have Magnus Walker on, uh, fashion designer, style icon, automobile enthusiast. During the break, please check out Magnus Walker online, Instagram as well. We'll be back with you, Wrench Nation. Of course you want your mileage back and all the extra money you've spent feeding an engine gunked up with carbon. Your car needs its fuel system cleaned and it needs it now. You need BG44K. It's the one dealerships use the most. In fact, they use BG44K almost three to one over any other fuel system cleaner made. To find a shop near you, go to BGFindAShop.com. That's BGFindAShop.com. I got my mileage back. Support for Wrench Nation Car Talk, the smart choice for auto parts pronto national association pronto is committed to the independent automotive aftermarket and demonstrates leadership within the automotive industry pronto association is made up of nearly 100 member auto part distributors visit pronto-net.com automotive technical training parts lineup and representation of the automotive member community pronto-net.com funding for wrench nation car talk brought to you by vision collision a full service auto body repair collision repair and automotive paint facility in Tempe, Arizona, serving all of Greater Phoenix. Free towing, free estimates, Vision Collision. Family owned and operated, 480-248-9049. Vision Collision. 52% of the population family are women. We love you ladies, but less than 3% of you women are professional technicians. Charity partner Tech Force Foundation believes if we want to solve this little technician shortage, we need to start talking to 52% of these ladies out in the population. Head on over. If you feel like you can tinker with the best of them, head on over to techforce.org. Bolt-on Technologies Automotive Software Solutions. Auto repair shops that have bolt-on technology software provide customer vehicle condition reports, including photos and text, real-time digital reports, multi-point inspections, estimates, and repair information at your fingertips. Info at boltontechnology.com. Funding for Wrench Nation Car Talk brought to you by Anytime Auto Glass, a family-owned, full-service windshield replacement and repair company with a focus on hard work, integrity, and providing a no-hassle professional service for their windshield and vehicle tint clients. AnytimeAutoGlassAZ.com or call 480-430-4597. Anytime Auto Glass. Right on. Welcome back, Ranch Nation. Hanging out with your family. Always an honor to spend it with you. Don't forget the podcast is uploaded on Sunday. Big shout out to our radio family, our KFNX, on Saturday, 90.7 and 88.7. You guys rock. Magnus Walker, a British former fashion designer and car collector, came to this country back in 86 at the age of 19 and eventually established one of the premier clothing brands called Sirius with his late wife, Karen Cade Walker. Having been fascinated with Porsche since childhood, Walker started collecting and customizing vintage Porsches his claim to fame. 
Magnus Walker. Welcome to the show. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, man, it's an honor to have you on. I, I got to go back in time because we, we just mentioned something. Uh, and God, many of us, Susie, Greg, can relate to the sort of beginnings. Magnus, you came to this country. It was overwhelming, I imagine. What were you thinking when you landed on the U.S. soil back in the day <laughs> right? as, as far as a well, direction? We've we got to go back to 1986. I landed at JFK. I came to the States to work on a summer camp with underprivileged kids just north of Detroit on Lake Michigan. So it was exciting. It was nervous. It was a culture shock. Uh, New York City was hustle-bustle in 86. Then I got on a Trailways bus and went from New York to Detroit. And then I spent that summer uh, learning to become what I call an adaptive swimmer. And by that, I mean, you know, I got uh, dumped in the deep end of the pool in an unfamiliar territory in an environment that I was not familiar with. You know, England doesn't have summer camps. You know, we have scouts, but I wasn't a scout. So uh, being in the middle of nowhere, you know, uh, north of Detroit was a culture shock. But like I say, that's where you sink or swim and you you got to learn to fend for yourself pretty quickly. So it was an exciting time, and, uh, you know, I'm real thankful that that was how I came to America. And then after that, it was sex, drugs, rock and roll. Yeah, i got to ask you on that point, because a lot of us, uh, sometimes in life, we just have no choice. I mean, we, we go to these new experiences. Did you feel like you ever had a plan laid out? Here I am, I'm working these summer camps, this new adventure, did you say to yourself back then, a week or two weeks from now, this is how it's going to look for me? Or did you literally say, you know what, okay, i got to learn how to swim this one? Uh, yeah, I'm the latter. You know, I'm what you call street smart as opposed to book smart. You know, I left school at 15 with two O-levels. I used to hate it when, you know, a teacher would say, where do you see yourself in five years <laughs> or a career advisor? And, you know, my dad would always say, cut your hair and get a real job. Well, you know, I've had long hair since I was 13, so... I've had long hair for 40 years. I've never really cut it. I've never really had a job. So the answer to your question is for certain type of people, myself, you know, included, I just sort of go with the flow. I never sort of had a plan as to where I wanted to be. All I knew was in 1986, L.A. was more appealing than Sheffield, which is in the north of England. So, you know, I just sort of went along with the flow and when an opportunity came my way that was something I was interested in, I took that opportunity and ran with it. And uh, if it was something I enjoyed doing, I would do it 110%. And to this day, I, I still tend to say yes more than I say to no to things that are either super appealing to me or a little scary to me. And generally, that's uh, where the gut feeling comes in of, it just feels right. And for me, not actually having too much of a framework, uh, a boundary, which I had to stay within, it was sort of, I was open to do whatever felt right at that time with no real pressure. For me, coming to America, and especially L.A., I've been in L.A. since 1986. That represented the ultimate freedom for me to, to do whatever I wanted to do with no judgments from other people telling me that'll never work or you can't do that because you're not qualified to do that. So to me, coming to America really was the ultimate freedom to do whatever you want to do when you want to do it. And along the way, obviously, you know, there's some missteps and, you know, steps backwards. But the goal was always to move forward. But I never had a goal of this is where I want to be in 5, 10, 20 years type of thing. That, that's not really who I am. You're speaking to a lot of youngsters out there that actually may be coming from that background where uncle and aunt and mom and dad Let's face it, maybe mom and dad, they're separated, so they're really hearing some extremes. Don't do like us. We never did this. You've got to do it right. this way. You're speaking to a lot of youngsters out there, and, and I'm speaking automotive industry because, unfortunately, and you know this, Magnus, um, it, it seems like, well, if you can't become whatever, go go to that, that automotive industry and try out your luck there. <laughs> and, of course, that's changing because yeah. it's gotten sophisticated. I'm sure... Magnus, that you've had the privilege of stopping in your tracks when you meet someone, whether they're young or old, that sort of have this defunct attitude, and you're able to spend a few minutes and say, hey, look at me. That's not always the case. Give yourself a set of wings and let it go a little bit. Um, with that said, Magnus, and I want to jump around a little bit. We're going to talk about Urban Outlaw and how you started as well in L.A. 
But I do want to go right to the TEDx because I do want to direct a lot of our folks listening to that TEDx. You were invited, UCLA. You gave a talk that was extremely inspiring. Talk to us about more of that gut instinct that really drove you. Well, the TEDx TED Talk was something I'd literally never heard of, but I have to back up two years prior to that because without Tamir Moscovici's film Urban Outlaw, which came out October 15, 2012, there would have been no TED Talk and everything else that came after it. So Tamir Moscovici made a short 32-minute documentary film called Urban Outlaw, which was essentially the story of my journey, of my life of coming to America and doing things uh, that inspired me and I enjoyed, centered around mostly my love affair with Porsche. But the film is not necessarily a Porsche film, it's a journey. But without that film, I would never have done the TED Talk because the people that invited me to do the TED Talk had seen the film Urban Outlaw and said, hey, we think you'd be great for a TED Talk. And I go, well, what is a TED Talk? I'd literally never heard of one. It, it wasn't something I was in tune with or aware of. They sent me a couple of links. Bill Gates had done one. I said, okay, how bad can this be? They invited me down to UCLA to sort of do a trial run because by this time I'd sort of told my story quite a few times in magazine interviews and the film that Tamir did, Urban Outlaw. And I ramble on and the smart people that edit things down would always find the clips that sort of made me look good, put it in a, in a film and Bob's your uncle, there you are. But the TED Talk was something different. It was a live audience. So I'd sort of gone through my story, and I'd go, hey, I've got this down. I've told my story a lot. And they said, well, you only have 18 minutes to tell it. And so what I learned from the TED Talk was I went down to UCLA on a Friday, and I'm doing the TED Talk the following Saturday around noon. And I rambled on for 45 minutes, and they said, hey, you've got to get this down to 18 minutes. They said, we suggest you go home and structure out a narrative of your life. I go, Structure out a narrative of my life. I don't even know what that means. Magnus, <laughs> I, I don't see you writing scripts burning midnight oil. Could you imagine? No. Magnus is sitting at the drawing board, and he's got 18 no. pages. I don't see you doing that, man. <laughs> no, well, I went home and I attempted it. Born 1970, uh, born 67, blah, blah, blah. And I started stammering and stumbling around, and my story just didn't flow. So I essentially said, hey, forget about that. I'm going to wing it. And I, I winged the TED Talk, and I knew if I didn't get to a certain point, Within 10 minutes, I was sort of, you know, going over time. And for me, the TED Talk was a, a nerve-wracking thing because you got to remember it's an environment I wasn't used to. I left school at 15. All of a sudden, you know, I'm on stage at UCLA in front of a 1,000 intellectuals, and I'm feeling like the odd man out. I was out of my comfort zone. You know, so I, I stumbled onto stage, walked on, super nervous for like the first 15, 20 seconds, and I cracked a joke. The audience laughed. And then I relaxed, and then I went into my story, and it went on for 19 minutes. But the interesting thing about the TED Talk was, uh, for me, I learned to become a, a better public speaker. I also learned to self-edit my story down. But the, the bigger thing was the reaction that came from the TED Talk. And I would say 95% of the people that saw the TED Talk had no idea who I was or what I was about or probably didn't really care too much about cars. But there was a common thread that my story was just me rambling on about my life, but people connected to doing what you love, not necessarily doing what you got in education in, because they're not always the same thing. A lot of people, you know, are sort of possibly going down a path to be something following in the family's footsteps that they may not be super connected to, i.e. doctor, lawyer, because your father was a doctor or lawyer. But in reality, these people may just want to brew bourbon or, you know, surf or build skateboards or whatever it may be. So the amount of feedback that I got from the TED Talk was really more inspiring than me actually doing the talk because in a weird way I'd connected with, you know, just a, a broader audience and spectrum of people that shared the same sort of common bond of doing things that you love. So that was the most rewarding thing from the TED Talk, more so than perhaps even any of the car-related stuff I've done because, yeah, it's great when people say, I love your cars that you build, but if someone says, hey, you inspired me to do something I'd always wanted to do, that really, it, for me, was more rewarding in a way of giving back without even really trying. So I was super fortunate to be given that opportunity to give a TED Talk, and uh, it was one of the better things that I'd done with my time because the sort of feedback and outcome and what I'd gained and grown from that was way more rewarding than the actual 19 minutes on stage. But and that's the best so that's right there. the story of the TED Talk. Reciprocative, right? The best things in life is, is we, we can't just, okay, I did it, I gave it, but there was no reciprocation right. that way. And 
You're speaking on the whole thing. I've seen people speak for two hours, and it was like, okay, what is this over? You you spoke <laughs> yeah. from the heart, and I think when you were you were sitting down, and I've experienced this, Susie. I'm sure Greg, many of you listening, you sit down. You've got some formality that you're dealing with. I don't care if you're, it's an audition with a trombone, whatever. And you sit down, and you sit down, and you start thinking about how is this supposed to be? How is this timeline look? And it messes with you. And I think, Magnus, you said, you know what? Here's the basics. I'm me. I'm doing me. Let's do this. And I, Wing you know, it. I mean, that's straight <laughs> up. Yep. Yeah, I, I think that's my relatability in a certain way is, you know, I'm still, I'm still down to earth and I'm still winging it. You know, there is no master plan. For me, things happen organically still to this day. You know, I'm kind of a one-man army in the sense of I don't have a team behind me. There's no agent, no manager. It's me and the iPhone, and I'm, I'm kind of easy to get a hold of. And I think that just makes, you know, I'm relatable in that sense of there are no walls up around what I do. You either like it or you don't. If you want to come along for the journey, great. If not, so be it, right? Everyone's got an opinion. You know, I'm just sort of doing my thing and sharing it with the world out there and uh, just trying to make the most out of every moment and do things that I enjoy doing uh, and fulfill, you know, my, my sort of journey on, on, on you know, well, you're, you're, on life. You are inspiring many and, and not necessarily Greg. This isn't Greg Ovis with G's Up. This isn't a story about, you know, all things cars, great. But if, if I'm just an individual that can get lit to next level, I don't care if you're basket weaving, Magnus, I'll say it for you because you're a humble cat. You're inspiring a ton of people that way. And I want to personally thank you. I watched the TEDx talk. You spoke directly to me. And I am one of those solopreneurs. Susie and I, Greg is, many of us. And I think in the world of uh, marketability and branding, I think there can be, Magnus, do you agree, some pomp and circumstance. Of course, we've got to choose our battles, where we spend our time, because we want to, we want to make an impact. But I think sometimes, Magnus, there can be some pomp and circumstance, and those brands end out losing opportunity. Yeah, for sure. I mean, for me, I, I always say passion something that you can't put in a bottle and, and market it. You know, here's passion. You know, it's $1.99. You sort of either have it or you don't. And um, I think that's the common bond with a lot of car people that I've met is, the passionate for the love affair of the car, you know, the search, the journey, the transportation. And that's just sort of one thing. You know, I find people that are passionate about things that they love doing, you know, they're very open to share their story and their journey, you know. And often it, it, it's a simple way that sometimes people overthink and forget about. Or, you know, a lot of people fail before they even cross the start line. You know, they'll have an idea. They'll run it by the buddy. The buddy will go, hey, that's a stupid idea. It'll never work. And so a lot of people are afraid of failure, so they never attempt it. You know, and you really have to cross the start line before you can really go anywhere. But not everyone tees up to the start line. So, you know, I think passion is one of those things that you're self-motivated, right? You yeah. know, whatever it is you want to do, if it's some burning desire, you're going to find a way to make it happen, whether it's climbing Everest or swimming across the English Channel or whatever it may be that drives you to get out of bed earlier in the morning or the one thing that you wake up at 2 a.m. in the morning thinking about, whatever it may be. You know, everyone has a, a story or, or a moment where they're waking up in the middle of the night thinking about something, they wake up at the crack of dawn eager to go, and they're devoting 12, 14, 16 hours of their day to do it, because if it's something you love, you're not actually looking at the clock, counting how many hours you've spent trying to achieve that goal. You're just driven until you can no longer, you know, sort of think straight. And I think we've all been in that position where... Yeah. Uh, when you're in that situation, you know it's worth doing. Yeah, you're off the bus. You're you're crossing the country. You just got done with summer camp. That was a certain vibe for you. Here you are in L.A., mid to late '80s, a whole punk rock scene going on. How Magnus did you end up in the clothing business? It was kind of accidental. You know, I was couch surfing in and around L.A. and being English in L.A. in the '80s was awesome and night clubbing and. You know, at one point I was on the beach in Venice and basically someone just literally offered me a job. Hey, you're English. Do you want a job? It was literally as simple as that. And it was selling seconds from the gap. I was like the hawker that would stand on the boardwalk, step right up, don't be shy, buy one for five, you know, two for 10, four for 15 type of thing. Wow. And so that was a little odd job where I think they paid me like 10 or 20 bucks a day to stand out there on the baking sun and bring people in the booth. 
And then I noticed, you know, during the week, things were a little bit quieter, and I saw some people selling some second-hand clothing, and that sort of inspired me to go to thrift stores and buy Levi's, and then I started putting patches on them, customizing them, and it was this whole sort of mashup of rock and roll. I was into heavy metal, but late 80s, there was a whole sort of new wave rave scene coming around, and everyone was whimsical and theatrical, and Venice Beach back then, you know, 30, 35 years ago, was just a very creative place to be. You know, it was kind of like when you hear these stories about people in the swinging 60s and King's Road, you know, in London, or, you know, the Woodstock generation. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Venice Beach, for me, at that period of time, was a magical moment. You know, I was early 20s, doing whatever I liked, and that was how I accidentally fell into the clothing industry. And then one thing led to another. We started wholesaling, and, you know, I personally uh, designed what I wanted to wear that wasn't necessarily available on the rack at your local clothing store. So I was always about customizing, you know, making my jeans as tight as possible, sewing patches on my denim jacket. And it was a very rock and roll look. And, of course, L.A. is a rock and roll town. And we started, you know, wholesaling and then retailing. We had our own store. We met a bunch of rock and rollers who, you know, basically wanted some cool clothes. And that was just that moment of time. It happened very organically. It wasn't planned. It went from selling stuff on the boardwalk to selling stuff on Melrose to wholesaling to boutiques to opening our own store and it was baby steps but it was also the timing was right and we were doing something just slightly different you know we weren't inventing the three-legged pant but we were just <laughs> tweaking and putting our own flavor on things that personally excited us and then you realize oh alice cooper likes this stuff and all of a sudden these people that i i grew up you know seeing gigs as a kid you know i went on tour with alice cooper and met led zeppelin it was just one of these L.A. stories that just organically happened, but the common thread between everything that I've done was I was super passionate about it, but I had no education in it. But I found a way to sort of adapt and make it work. And that's what's great about L.A. It's a real melting pot of you want to be a movie star, rock star, fashion model, car designer, the opportunity and the accessibility to the tools and infrastructure to obtain that goal and achieve that goal is here more so than in any other city i think and then factor in the weather's great and there's a lot of people here and it's you know a cultural capital of the world for all things sort of entertainment and fashion and automotive it was just right place to be right time with the right idea and i had the, the drive and work ethic to put those long hours in never give up and make it happen so there's sort of the long rambling answer to how i got into the fashion clothing business yeah no it's spot on and i gotta ask you because uh, i think a lot of folks right now are on that sort of on right on the edge they don't know if they're gonna fly smoothly over the cliff or they're just gonna nosedive one thing that folks that are and i i wouldn't even use the word i think rebel can be can be a dangerous word in some perspectives but the word no you can't what do you tell someone who's passionate about what they do they believe in it as you said they're burning midnight oil they don't even feel it in fact their family members got to pinch them and say hey we're here what do you tell someone that's got passion and drive maybe you're giving us an example back in the day when you started your clothing store and clothing uh, a clothing retail outfit what, what would you do with a no did people tell you no you can't and how'd you deal with that well the key is never give up you know i'm going to go back to when i was eight years old and I used to do a lot of cross-country, middle-distance running. And in the late 70s, I ran for this club called the Hallam Shaharis. And a few years before I was there, there was a runner called Sebastian Coe, who went on to be Olympic uh, world champion, world record holder in middle-distance, 800 meters and 1,500 meters. And he won Olympic gold in 1984 at the LA Olympic Games. But in 1978, a few years before that, I met him. And I'd done this cross-country race. I, I finished, I don't know, third, I believe. And the certificate's dated, I guess, 1978, so I'm 11. And Sebastian Coe signed the certificate, and all he said was, well done. Two words, well done, Sebastian Coe. I still talk about this, this moment over 40 years later because it was a positive uh, affirmation of support from someone who I actually admired. And it was like a pat on the back. Now, Sebastian Coe was a big deal to me as an 11-year-old cross-country runner. He was Olympic uh, world champion record holder. So the answer to your question is you always got to be supportive. I didn't always necessarily get support from my family, but someone who I idolized just said two words, well done. I still talk about this to this day. So, you know, the question is, or the answer is, you've got to be supportive and 
basically tell people, hey, never give up. You know, when we were doing a lot of the clothing stuff, we'd often have uh, mums come up to us at trade shows. and The conversation happened several times. My daughter wants to get into fashion. Should she go to fashion school? And I would always say, well, fashion school will sort of teach you the business end of it, but it won't teach you the idea. You don't have to go to school to have an idea. Everyone can have an idea. So for me, it was more... Just do what you love to do. Don't necessarily worry about, oh, I don't have the right qualification to be a fashion. There is no qualification to be a fashion designer. You know, school can't teach you ideas. It can teach you the mathematics and the business end of it and the basics. But an idea is something that cannot be taught. And when it comes to fashion, you know, you're either leading or you're following. You know, no one wants, there's nothing more dated than last year's fashion. But, you know, (laughs) school won't teach you the idea. The idea comes from within. And that idea goes through life, whatever it is, whether you want to be, you know, a car designer or a movie star, whatever it may be, right? You know, the idea comes from within. So the answer to your question is, you know, when someone says no, if you have strong enough belief to stay self-motivated and keep going, you just keep pushing forward, right? You know, if, if, you, if you give up the first time someone says no, you're sort of out of the game. So you just got to keep pushing forward, you gotta keep, keep pushing. motivated. Yeah. That, yeah, that. and, you know, it's baby steps, right? You know? success, whatever goal you set for yourself, it's not going to happen overnight. You've got to take it in steps, set achievable goals. You know, I'm going to do uh, X amount of this, X amount of that, but set a goal as to a deadline when you want to have it done. That's and it. That's step one. Yeah. And then you just keep, you know, keep going. climbing more steps. Keep I think going. time, time for sure plays with our head. I think, uh, I think we should throw the clock away and uh, just make the best of our time. Uh, if you're just joining us, Magnus Walker, please get on Instagram at Magnus Walker. Magnus, hang tight. We're going to take a break. We're going to talk about your recent collaboration with Fireball Tim and, of course, the 911 Porsche Collection. We're not letting you go without talking about that. Hang tight, Ranch Nation. Whether you're looking for a full-service direct mail or you just simply want a few marketing materials printed for use in your store, MailShark has got you covered. With over 10 years of client service success with direct mail postcards, restaurant box toppers, magnets, and so much more, MailShark is there to help your marketing team acquire the clients you deserve. Pay weekly, pay as you go. There is no pressure, no contracts, direct mail. For more details, visit themailshark.com. Funding for Wrench Nation Car Talk brought to you by Parts Authority Auto Parts. Founded in 1972, a leading national distributor of automotive replacement parts, tools, equipment, and transmissions. For a location near you, visit partsauthority.com. Right on. Welcome back, Wrench Nation. Uh, Frank, Susie, and Greg hanging out with you from the East Valley Institute of Technology. Always an honor to take you guys on a journey. If you are just dialing into the show, please head on over to Instagram. Uh, check out Magnus Walker. Many of you have heard of Magnus Walker. Some of you have new to that vibe. It's more than just an automotive lifestyle. Really, it's an inspiration and thriving to be centered for who you are, what you are, and showing up. Let's bring back Magnus Walker. Magnus, welcome back. Good to be back. Good to be back with you guys out there in Zona. How's the weather out there? Man, we're hoping. We're, we're, we're cold, right? It's 105 right now, Magnus. That's right. Hey, you mentioned uh, Ellis Cooper. He's one of our little local Arizonians here. Yeah, he did. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> School's out. That's right. <laughs> School's out. Yeah, actually, uh, big shout out to Alice Cooper, man. He does so much uh, for the community. And, one, you know, you talked about art and, and, and style and how, you know, you, you can probably get some business rudiments. Uh, as a jazz trombonist, I have been fortunate to play with a ton of cats. Uh, Arturo Sandoval, who uh, Dizzy Gillespie brought over from Cuba, I had a chance to jam with him. And I asked him after the jam session, things kind of settled and died down. I said, Arturo, how do you separate the business of music and performance? You know, that that expression. He didn't give me a straight answer, Magnus. He just said, I got good people. (laughs) (laughs) But I think a a lot of creatives struggle with that. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of people's, uh, how do you deal with that? I mean, you're a creative. How do you stay in the zone? Well, you know, the zone's not a nine-to-five job, so you're not always in it. For me, when it comes to the car end of things, it's a hobby. 
So I just do what I want to do when I want to do it. That way, I'm not on anyone else's sort of timeline of managing expectations and, and deliveries. That's why I don't build customer cars. I just play around and, and build for myself. What I will say is for me personally, and this is not for everyone, but for me, you know, I've never really focused on money. It's sort of come doing things that I love to do, but it, it's never been the motivation. You know, it's like I've had money in the bank and I've had no money in the bank, and I'm kind of the same with or without it. You know, I've got to a point where I, I have what I need. You know, it's like you go through these decades, you know, the 20s, you know, for me was building it. The 30s was expanding it. The 40s, you start slowing down a little bit, reprioritize, you know, things that uh, were a priority before maybe are not quite as important. You know, health becomes one thing. You know, I turned 50, so I'm not quite as active as I was before. So priorities shift, but I suppose that is the question to me. How do I separate the two? You know, I never really chased the money, so it wasn't like this, uh, the, the goal of, you know, need more of this, need more of that. And my timing was always good when it, it came to sort of acquiring things when they weren't trendy, i.e. early Porsches when they were affordable. So uh, timing to me is, is, is always important. Yeah, and I love the idea, Greg. There's something said in there, and and with all due respect to many of you out there that are, your gig is, you know, I got to be there at 7.30, it's 4.30. But I think at the end of the day, do what you love, man. Try the best you can. Your life is too short. Magnus, when you hit 50, I can relate. Things you start to, you start to reflect and say, okay, do I really need to do that over there for this situation? Or can I just do what I want to do? <laughs> yeah, I mean, for me, the ultimate freedom is being able to do whatever you want to do when you want to do it. And that can mean anything. You know, it can mean, okay, I'm going to go travel around the world or, or you know, you downsize or whatever it may be. But to me, that is the ultimate freedom that money doesn't necessarily buy. You know, and I, I'm, I've discovered health is important. You know, if you can't get around, you know, I, I'm all about, you know, being mobile, being able to go wherever I want to go when I want, when I want to go. That is the ultimate freedom. So, Health plays a part in that as well. You know, people used to say, oh, aging is just a number. But, yeah, you know, my hair is thinner and things ache more than they did when I was in my, <laughs> my 30s and 40s. But, you know, for me, I just like to stay mobile, stay active, get my steps in every day. And uh, and, and, and enjoy theory. what is a world-renowned Porsche collection. we got to talk about that. Um, your mind going way back, in fact, before uh, at the doorsteps landing here in the, in the U.S., I understand that you wrote a letter to Porsche when you were very young. Yeah, true story. My dad, you know, we grew up working class north of England. You know, didn't necessarily have cool cars in the uh, in the in the family. My dad was a salesman, company car, but we watched a lot of motorsport, and uh, we'd go to car shows. And I went to the London Oldscore Court Motor Show in 1977 when I was 10 years old. Visited Porsche, came back with a brochure and a poster. Had the poster on the wall. Wrote to Porsche as a 10 year old. Said, "Hey, I want to design cars for you." You know, in 1977, Porsche was a way smaller company than they are today. Yeah. They literally wrote me a letter back saying, call us when you're older type of thing. And uh, I sort of forgot about it until Tamir's film came out in 2012, you know, 35 years later. He'd actually asked me in the film, what do you think Porsche would think about the cars you'd built? And I said something like, you know, I hope they'd be smiling and happy. And literally, you know, like two months after the film came out, I got a letter from Porsche basically saying... <clears throat> Hey, we saw your film. We see you have a passion for the brand. We understand you wrote us when we were 10 years old. We'd like to invite you to come and visit us. And I'd never gone to Porsche. I'd, you know, I've never owned a new car, never owned a new Porsche. So, you know, it wasn't like I was going to the Porsche dealership or visiting the museum or the factory in Stuttgart. But literally 35 years later, in 2012, I wrote the letter in 1977. They wrote me a second letter, and I went to see them, and that sort of sparked this strange relationship that That's... i have with them where i'm not affiliated in any official way but they seem to realize to a certain degree i have this thing that i mentioned earlier passion which is something you can't manufacture and the timing of the film was good because the 9-11 was celebrating its 50th anniversary the whole world was talking about porsche and my sort of uh narrative story you know sort of fit a lot of different genres of i wasn't a typical porsche looking person you know and i had a unique sort of take on uh, my philosophy with what a Porsche meant to me. And that story just kept evolving, and then people started inviting me places. And But my backstory was, fell in love with Porsche as a 10-year-old, bought my first Porsche in 1992 at the Pomona Swap Meet, which still to this day is one of my favorite places. 
everyone should go to the Pomona Swap Meet. Pomona Swap Meet, yes. Wow. Yes, indeed. Yeah, I bought my first Porsche. was a 74 slant nose. cost me 7500 bucks, wow. And it represented a dream come true. I was 25 years old. So 15 years after that letter, I acquired my own first Porsche. And it was like a personal sense of achievement, a dream come true, and uh, just sort of opened the door to, you know, a different type of speed and a different type of freedom. So that was sort of how my love affair with Porsche started. And 44 years later, I'm still passionate about all things that are, you know, related to Porsche cars. And how many in the collection currently? I got a few. You know, I started out just early <laughs> 9-11. Now it's expanded to everything that Porsche's ever built in a sports car. So that really means front engine, mid engine, rear engine, air and water cooled. And what a lot of people think of Porsche, they just obviously associate it with early 911s. But to me, I like, you know, the 924s, the 928s, the 914s. I like variety. I'm all about variety and different experiences that can be gained and shared behind the wheel. That is awesome. I mean, um, Magnus, where, before we get into uh, Fireball Tim's uh, collaboration uh, with the awesome coloring book, where can folks find you? I know we mentioned Instagram. I, I just want to make sure that we, we get folks to maybe find a dot com or anything out there that you can direct folks to that you'd love to uh, mention. Instagram, Facebook are the, you know, okay. the sort of best places to follow. I have a YouTube channel where, you know, I post things up, videos. I'm doing this show with Haggerty called The Next Big Thing. I saw that. Season that was awesome. Two. Yeah. Yeah. Season two of The Next Big Thing is coming out July 5th on the Haggerty YouTube channel. Essentially, uh, it's a show I, I'm doing in conjunction with Haggerty, where it's just my sort of opinion on, truth be told, it's cars that I'm interested in that are not Porsches. You know, the, the, the cars that may not have been the poster on your wall, but could be the next big thing. It's everything from like a Jeep Grand Wagoneer to a Saab 99 to a Ferrari <laughs> 355. You know, it's like <laughs> That's an eclectic one. array, yeah. But you're, yeah, you're, you know, these are, you're giving voice to some of the minority vehicles out there. We love it. <laughs> these, these are cars that, you know, might be the underdogs, you know, a Toyota Cressida wagon. You know, it's not necessarily the coolest car, but when you show up at a Cars and Coffee, it's probably going to be, for one reason, a car that stands out. You know, see, these are the cars that some of them I'm personally interested in owning. Like, I want to own a Jag XJS, so I featured that. I've always loved the Dodge Viper, which to me is still an undervalued car. I owned a Saab 99 Turbo when I was younger. And so, you know, these are cars that I might want to get myself, but it's just more a way of me enjoying cars, sharing people's stories, listening to what their love affair with a particular car is all about. You know, why do certain people like certain cars? You know, so it's like a lifestyle journey. So I'm super excited to do that. So... Uh, well, we're honored to, to catch it. Interested, catch it on it uh, YouTube. Haggerty. Yeah, Haggerty.com, uh, is that right? Yeah, it's on Haggerty's YouTube channel. You know, okay. we've got like, I don't know, 1.5 million subscribers. So just go to YouTube, punch in Haggerty, and look for the next big thing. So uh, I'm doing that. And then, yeah, like you said, I got this collaboration with Fireball Tim. Yeah, let's talk about that. Look, you went from clothing, you were out there, <laughs> uh, you, you developed your passion. Never stop uh, as a youngster to Porsche. And during this whole ride, did you ever think you're going to grace a coloring book and a Fireball Tim's coloring book? Has <laughs> that ever come to mind? I'm going to be in a coloring it, book? <laughs> it, it, it never came to mind. I mean, I had a book that came out in 2017, autobiography called Dirt Don't Slow You Down. I never thought I would have a book. I never thought I would have a film that came out that won some awards. So a coloring book, you know, back to me not making lists. I, I didn't have a list of got to have a coloring book, but let me tell you, it's super duper cool. You know, it's first of all, it's affordable. It's nine ninety nine. It's forty eight pages. It's nineteen of my favorite own personal cars. So these are cars that I've you know uh, built, modified that are in the book in chronological order. It starts with my sixty five nine eleven being the oldest one, and the nice. bookend is my uh, two thousand and four GT three. Uh, so it takes you on a journey through my customized uh, Porsches and uh, Fireball Tim. Basically, I provided images and photos of my cars that then he re-rendered into this post-apocalyptic <laughs> L.A. Blade Runner S future 100 years down the road. That's so Fireball. It's a coloring yeah, book yeah. for kids of all ages. Sure, sure. Uh, just to kind of uh, reset with uh, Fireball Publishing, uh, actually is currently creating uh, and we can all speak on the talent of Fireball as uh, one of the greatest uh, yeah. 
Hollywood designers for a lot of the movies that you're familiar with, uh, Jurassic Park and many mm-hmm. others. But um, Batman. I, Batman, Batman, yeah, can't Batman forget. Too. Yeah, in fact, uh, yeah. Were were you guys? I, I forget. I lose timelines sometimes. I know Fireball was at the Peterson. Were you there at the Peterson? He was given a tour, and they were going through some of the. No, okay. I, I actually never met him. You know, he shot me an email. I'm like, sure, come on down. I met him. He's obviously a wild, crazy guy. Yeah, he is. We He's great. Yeah. L.A. local, great family. You know, grew up in the movie industry. You know, and he's just an infectious, passionate guy, yeah. right? So you get you get caught up in his energy. Yep. Yeah. And you go, why wouldn't I do a coloring book with this guy? <laughs> you know? it's, it's just something that's really pretty cool. Yeah. You know, everyone likes to doodle. And so, you know, you can just get out whatever it is you want to doodle with. Sharpies, crayons, whatever, right? Dirty engine oil, whatever it may be. So it's just a cool thing to flip through. You know, in this, in this world today, everything's like disposable and digital, right? We're all looking at stuff on your phone. Yeah. But yet to actually hold something, it's like, you know, a car magazine, right? You know, I'm one of those people that I don't really throw things away. So the coloring book is something that I'm sat flipping through it right now thinking, oh, it'd be a great way to sort of recolor my own cars because my design theory is I'm not good at graphics. I have an idea visually in my head, but I'm not one of these guys that's sketching the car out on Illustrator or Photoshop. I literally will take a photo, print it out on an 8 by 11 sheet of paper in black and white, just like the coloring book, and I'll color it in. I did this 914 art car that went to SEMA with Mobile One in 20, uh, 2019. And I literally, you know, it was something that was rattle canned in a couple of days. And it's got a checkerboard roof that I literally put yellow post-its on the roof, took a photo of it, and then colored it in with Sharpies. So that was kind of how I designed my own sort of livery on cars. So... When Fireball came by and said, hey, let's do a coloring book, it was like, wow, this is like the next evolution of how I'm actually doing stuff. Well, so, and it's you know, therapeutic. It collaboration. It's therapeutic. We all need to get our color on. That's right. <laughs> you know, yeah. It is therapeutic, I, I think. You know, it, it, it's sort of cool to see people's renderings or recolorings of my cars. I'm actually going to do a, a little design contest around the book where I'll get people to submit their favorite re-rendering illustration or coloring, you know, of my car with a hashtag, whatever it may be. And then I'll pick someone who I think's, you know, my favorite and give them a bunch of Hot Wheels and various Aww. other things just to get yeah, people engaged in actually creating something, right? Yeah, we you need know, more of that. Yes, that, we do. We, you know, we, we, yeah, we're too digital. I think we need to get back to, and even if you're picking up a, a big fat, magic marker and, and it doesn't have to be perfect. It's, I think some of us are chasing yeah. perfect too much. You don't have to color between the, you know, you can color outside of the lines. Like well, Magnus, we, we don't think you're going to be coloring in the lines. <laughs> you <know? laughs> but you guys can find the, uh, just get on Amazon.com and uh, look at the whole series. Of course, the official Magnus Walker coloring book. Magnus, we wish we had hours and hours, man, to hang more. We are just thrilled that you were able to stop by. Things get busy. Thank you so Time much. Flies when you're having fun, right? Yes. Oh my gosh, yes. You yes. are an amazing guest. Well done. Yes, Magus. Well, I appreciate the support. We should do this another time. And uh, next time I'm out there in Zona at the Rock Hounding Gem Show, you know, I'll <laughs> swing on by and see you guys. Absolutely. An honor to have you on. Thank you so much. Appreciate your time, you right. guys. Yeah, you guys check it out. Uh, you know, get on a Magnus Walker uh, Instagram, and I, I think he spoke a lot of. T- Greg, isn't it the case? Maybe in our when you were younger, you overthought it, maybe, and you just realized as you got older, I, I got some of this is I got to do for me. Yeah, like, there's something to be said for Magnus. You know, going through, we're going with the flow, going with his gut. Look how it's paid off for him, and for him to have a speech in front of people and walk away just as. And I think I think he had he had a, he had some nerves about that. I think mm-hmm. they may have set it up to the point where they created too much formality for him yep. and that got him in. And he finally just said, it's like shooting a rubber band. It's yeah. just going to fly. <laughs> you can't hold that rubber band. It's got to fly. Susie, what do we got next weekend? Well, I'll tell you what. I am actually going to talk about a little local one first. Okay, Real do it. quick. We got a quick um, moment. Saturday from, oh, let's say 8 p.m. to 1130, downtown Chandler, culture music in the park, outdoor live concert, going to be great. Greg? What yeah. do you got? Oh, well, we got to not forget about Ken Villa's Fountain Valley Car Show coming up. I and mean, we have to be there on the 19th California. It's going to be a 
Great show, lots of attending. Yeah, you guys 350 can, uh, plus cars. We'll be out there. Uh, we mentioned it last week. In fact, Ken Vela's coming on. He'll have some guests, but Fountain Valley Car Show, all of our California family and even our local family. It's going to be hot next week, people. You want to take a quick drive? Yeah, you may go to Disneyland, but stop by Fountain Valley Car Show. You can find that all over the internet. And that's uh, June 19th, Susie. June 19th. That's it. As I tell you, every week, man, be safe. Hug each other. And never forget to hug a mechanic. I studied evil. I can't deny it. Was a hoodoo charm called he loved me or died. Some fingernail, a piece of her dress. A pocket there, a devil really has. I will relate.